0: Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, we're going to look at the first four verses, and uh, 1 John is probably not where you expected to turn for a Christmas message, you probably were thinking Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, something about the shepherds or Herod or the angels or the virgin or something like that, but you will see that 1 John chapter 1 is a very good Christmas passage for us, Verse 1, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. The book of 1st John, it's kind of the Christmas story told from a little bit of a different perspective. It is the Christmas story told from heaven's perspective, not man's perspective. And so we get the Christmas event described, but without all of the furniture and scenery that we usually associate with Christmas. That would be the shepherds and the manger and the virgin and Joseph and and uh, the proclamation of the angels to the shepherds and the sheep by night and all of that and the star. But this is the Christmas story told from Heaven's perspective, so we get to step past the scenery, as it were, and sort of get God's perspective on what happened at Christmas, and it helps clarify for us what exactly happened on that night. What exactly happened when Mary gave birth to this son, Jesus Christ, and laid him in the manger? What was going on from Heaven's perspective? So there's nothing wrong, and I probably need to offer this clarification, there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas with all of the the trappings of it, the the wise men, the Mary and Joseph, and the star and the shepherds and the angels and all of that, that's all fine and good. But sometimes it's nice to step past the scenery, sort of step backstage and say, see what was going on behind the scenes. First John chapter one gives us a chance to do that. So that's what we're going to do now before I get into the first four verses and you're probably saying to yourself, Jim, I've seen you spend three weeks on one verse. What are you going to do with four verses? I'm going to prove to you that I can be very shallow tonight because that's what we're going to do. We're going to cover a lot of text, as it were, in a very short period of time. First John, let me give you a little bit of background to First John, just so this, these first four verses kind of make sense to you. In the early church, after 50 A.D., there was a sect of people that sort of rose up, and they didn't have just quirky beliefs about Jesus. They had outright heretical beliefs. They were known as Gnostics. And the Gnostics had a bunch of different heretical beliefs. I'm not going to get into all of them, but one of them that is germane to the passage here was their belief that all matter, anything physical, was evil. That would include the pulpit, that would include anything you touch, dirt, air, clouds, any matter, any physical thing that you can see or touch or hear or smell, anything was evil. If it was material, it was evil. That would include your body, because your your body is a physical thing. That's what the Gnostics believed. But they also believed that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was completely holy and sinless. So now they had a problem when it came to the birth of Christ. They had to somehow explain, how is it that somebody who was sinless and holy could himself live in a body and touch material things and touch sinful things and be united with a sinful thing and not himself be sinful? And so their solution was really simple. They just denied the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. And they just simply said, he looked like a physical being. He had the appearance of a physical being. He had the appearance of matter, but, and the appearance of a body, but he was really just a spirit creature. So that if you were able to go back and walk with Jesus along the Sea of Galilee in the sand, you would see something that looked physical and looked like it was walking through the sand, but you wouldn't see any footprints because he wasn't actually a physical person. That's why John in 1 John chapter 4 says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That's the test. You want to know if somebody, says, is, somebody is of God or not? Do they confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? And then John says... If they are not willing to make this confession that Jesus Christ came in real physical flesh, then they are not of God, but of the spirit of the Antichrist. That's 1 John 4, verse 2. Now, that's the background of it. Now, John is writing 1 John to counter this argument. Because, you see, if indeed everything physical and material is evil, including the body and the flesh, then we have a real problem if we believe that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came and took upon Himself human flesh. We have to somehow explain that. Well, as Christians, we don't believe that everything physical is evil. The Gnostics did. And they just simply denied that Jesus came in the flesh. So John's writing to answer that. And in doing so, he gives three really essential truths that you're going to see in 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. The first one is he describes for us the preexistence of Christ. He begins his epistle by saying what was from the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with John's writings, you probably have already made the connection to John chapter 1, which was really read and expounded up here in the Scripture in the reading that Thomas and Jenny and Tracy did. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when John talks about something being in the beginning, in John and in 1 John chapter 1, he's not describing the beginning as creation. He is describing before creation, in the beginning. You can go back before the birth of Jesus and before creation itself. You can go all the way back as far as your human mind can possibly comprehend, age upon age, millennia upon millennia, millions of years upon millions of years and multiply it by a million more. And John is saying Jesus was there. He was in the beginning. He was in the beginning of creation. He existed before He ever came to the earth. Unlike what the Mormons tell you, Jesus Christ was the only individual who ever existed prior to coming here to this earth. Jesus knew that of Himself. That's why He told the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus also prayed to the Father in John 17, Lord, Lord, Or, Father, glorify me with the glory that I shared with you before the world was. That's the prayer of either a lunatic or it is the prayer of God incarnate. One of the two. Because you and I could never pray that. Lord, glorify me with the glory that I shared with you before the world was. Jesus was able to pray that because Jesus understood who he was. Jesus understood that he existed before he came here. Jesus understood that he was the word of life that was from the beginning. Philippians chapter 2 says he existed in the form of God. He who existed in the form, by very nature, in His essence, He was God. And the physical manifestation, the visible manifestation of that was His form. When you looked at Jesus, you would see all of the attributes and all of the trappings of deity. If you were able to step into heaven prior to the incarnation and see the Son of God, you would see the form of God because He was in His essence and in His nature, God. He's the exact representation of the being of God and He existed from all of eternity. And Micah says His goings forth are from long ago. He's always existed. So, John says, what was from the beginning? That's the preexistence of Jesus. But second, John goes on to say that this One who preexisted in the form of God, He who enjoyed the worship of angels, the adoration of uh, seraphim and cherubim, He who existed in eternal relationship with the Father and with the Spirit before the world was, He who created the world, created the angels, created mankind, He who spoke with Moses in the burning bush, wrestled with Jacob, delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, He who was seen by men in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, this one who was from the beginning, took upon himself human flesh. So John says in verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, now listen to these words, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Now, I wasn't just repeating the same verse over and over again. I was reading to you everything John says there in the first three verses. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have heard with our ears, what we ourselves have handled concerning the word of life. Now, do you notice all the sensory perception words that John uses? Now we're back to why the background of this book is important. He's writing to Christians so that they won't be deceived by the Gnostics. Now no Gnostic would ever, no Gnostic who had ever walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus would ever be able to honestly believe that what they were seeing was a spirit. Because you don't nail spirits to crosses. Spirits don't eat food. Spirits don't walk. Spirits do not put on clothing. Spirits cannot be touched and handled. But John is saying, I am an eyewitness of the fact that this One who was from the beginning took upon Himself human flesh. I saw Him with My own eyes. I heard Him with My own ears. I touched Him and I handled Him. What we have seen, we proclaim to you. What is He getting at? Jesus was no spirit, and John is saying this was no illusion. This was no mere spirit creature. This was a man who had a real physical body. And John is reinforcing for us the humanity of the Lord Jesus. You see, if you deny that Jesus Christ is fully man, then you have a problem. Because then you have a God half-man, if you will, who cannot die for sin. If he's just a spirit creature, then that means he wasn't really a man. He wasn't tempted in every way as you and I are. He didn't really share in all of the non-sinful or unsinful human experiences that we experience. But John says, we saw Him. I handled Him. We heard Him. We touched Him. We pat Him on the back. We had dinner with Him. We ate with Him. We cooked with Him. We hung around with Him. We saw what He did. And that was no spirit. That's the person of Christ. So not only does John give us the preexistence of Christ, He was from the beginning, but He describes to us His person. That is that He was fully man. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh in an appearance as a man and He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death. Then the third thing that John describes is not only the... Pre-existence of Christ and the person of Christ, but he gives us a glimpse at the, the purpose of his coming. Look what John says in verse two and three. This life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. There are three reasons or three results of Jesus coming here to earth. The first one John gives to us in the repeated word in those first four verses, the word life. He was the life, He was the Word of life that was manifested to us. He was the life that was with the Father. He is Himself, the giver of all life, the source of all life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is life in Himself, and He's not dependent upon anybody else. He's self-sufficient, self-sustained, creator of all things, the giver and the sustainer of all of life. That's what Jesus claimed to be. That's what John is affirming He is. And the very first thing that results from Jesus coming here to earth is that we have life, eternal life. This life was manifested to us. Now listen, Jesus Christ did not come so that we could have purpose for living. Jesus Christ did not come so that we could have a friend. Jesus Christ did not come to liberate the poor and oppressed. Jesus Christ did not come to heal the environment or to cure environmental ills. What did Jesus Christ come to do? He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Because you know what our number one problem is? Without Christ, we're dead. We're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're enemies of God under His just condemnation and His wrath. Without Christ, we are dead men, spiritually dead. We have nothing to offer to God because we have no spiritual pulse. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead men don't need a purpose. Dead men don't need a friend. Dead men don't need a clean environment. And dead men don't need liberation for the poor and oppressed. You know what dead men need? They need life. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why John says, Not the social justice revolutionary came to earth and was manifested to us. And not the giver of all purpose and not the friend of all people came and was here. But the life was manifested to us. We saw Him. We heard Him. We touched Him with our hands. We saw Him with our eyes. And now we proclaim Him to you. He came that you might have eternal life. But the problem with you and I without Christ is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And you know why we're dead? Because we're sinners. And the soul that sins, it shall die. And we are sinners by nature and by birth by word and by deed, in thought and in motive, in every conceivable way. We are sinners. we violated God's law. We've broken His commandments. We have trespassed against Him. We have sinned against the Holy One of Heaven. We have, with ingratitude, accepted every good gift from Him and refused to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength from the moment of our birth to the moment of our death. And we have done everything that, like sheep gone astray, each of us gone our own way. And so the just penalty for lawbreakers like you and I is that God would send us to hell for our sins. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. He came and took upon himself human flesh. He created a body, filled it like a hand fills a glove, and he came here as the God-man, fully God, fully man, to die on a cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. We broke God's law, and Jesus stepped in and he paid our fine. And what he requires of us is repentance and faith. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you have to turn from your sin and apologize to God And then, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So He came that you might have eternal life. The second result of His coming, John says, is not just life, but fellowship. Verse 3 says, We proclaim Him to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, because of Christ's coming here, God has been reconciled to man. And man has been reconciled to God. There's been reconciliation. Before, there was no fellowship between us and the Father. There was no fellowship between us and the Son because we were sinners and lawbreakers, and God was our enemy, and we were hostile toward God, and we were children of wrath, and we were unholy and sinful and unsanctified and at war and enmity with God. But because of the coming of Christ, John says, Now we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son and with each other. So not only eternal life, but also fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with each other. And then the third result of Christ's coming is joy. John says in verse 4, I write these things to you so that our joy may be made complete. See, the fact that the God-man who existed before time began, before the creation of angels, before the creation of the world, before anything was, he who existed with all of the conveniences and the blessings and the prerogatives and the attributes of deity and the comforts of heaven, he who existed before all of that and was himself God, that he would step down here, come down here and take upon himself a human body and then die on a cross to pay the price for my sin and for your sin and offer to us life eternal, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with His Son. That in itself, my friends, is enough. That's good tidings of great joy, isn't it? That's what the angel said. Good tidings of great joy. That today, in the city of David, has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel said, You will call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. So, What does John tell us about Jesus in order to answer those who deny that he came in the flesh? That he pre-existed, That he came in a human body whom he he, he saw, he heard, and he handled? And the purpose for his coming was that we might have eternal life, fellowship with the Father, and everlasting, true, and eternal joy. And I ask you, do you have that this Christmas season? Have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ as Savior? If you don't, you don't have life. You don't have fellowship with the Father. You don't have fellowship with the Son. And you don't have joy. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the marvelous truth that our God became man. And not just man, and He didn't lose deity, but that he was the God-man. Two natures in one person, perfect in every way. We thank you that he took upon himself human flesh and was tempted in all points as we are, yet he was without sin. And we thank you that he bore the penalty and the wrath of God on our behalf. Christmas is about salvation. For that, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we celebrate tonight in the name of that great Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said?